In this week's lesson, Brother Juan Lopez teaches on the doctrine of prayer. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm looking forward to teaching tonight. Does, if I asked you what the doctrine of salvation was, and you were going to put it in simple terms, does anybody want to tell me what it is, the, the doctrine of salvation, anybody? Sam, was that? Oh, no, I was way behind then. I haven't been here in a few weeks. You can refresh my memory, though. Yes. The doctrine of salvation. So if somebody asked you, John Brown, what what was the basics of being saved? What does it take? What would you say? In filling the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Okay, I agree. So, baptism, repentance, baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost would be the very crook of it. That's that's just the that's as simplest as we can put it because you couldn't leave one of those things out and think, okay, I'm saved without that. It's important. We stress the doctrine of salvation. In my opinion, you have the doctrine of salvation is going to be the most important teaching in Scripture. Now, I would. Close second would be these two. It would be the Godhead for me and the doctrine of prayer. So understanding prayer is at the very least, in my personal opinion, the second most important and fundamental teaching in Scripture. So when we canceled class last week, I was so bummed because I even went and prepared PowerPoints, which I never do, I'm not good at it. It takes me long time to get it done. And you'll see misspellings and everything. And someone will pull me aside afterwards and they'll chuckle about it. But they're not really thinking it's funny. They're like, you drive me crazy. (laughs) That's what they mean. So I understand. You'll catch some of that. And I'll listen and we'll laugh about it after class. But communication is what I think about when I think about prayer. Who's read the five love languages? One, two, three. Three. How have you read it? And you have. Did she share the information though? You read it for college. Okay. You saw the chart. Everybody's cheating. Read the book. Okay. The basics of the five love languages is this. There are. People have different ways that they feel loved. That's the whole point of it. And if you're in a relationship, you want to be able to communicate to that person that you love them, right? You want them to know you care. Well, it turns out that not everybody feels love by gifts. Yeah, this was many years in our marriage before I didn't realize that how I felt loved is not how Janae felt loved. And so frustration built for years. Thank God our marriage survived before she forced me to partially read the book, but I grasped the understanding of it, okay? And she just clearly told me what her languages were, and then I clearly told her mine, which women are much smarter than men, so she already knew mine. But now I knew hers. 
So you know what happened? The communication got much better. It worked out a lot better. And so when we talk about prayer and the doctrine of prayer and the teaching of how to pray, that's what we're getting ready to get. That's what Jesus gave them, also known as the Lord's Prayer. It is absolutely the basic skeleton of how prayer should be for us. It's how we communicate with God. And He does better than that because He gives us some things that we should not do in prayer and helps us to understand how to even approach that moment where you're entering into the presence of God and you're to talk to Him and you're to share things with Him and you're to listen back and allow Him to speak to you. Prayer is exactly that. And we've got clear, clear teaching from Jesus on what that's supposed to look like. So this brings us face to face with the one of the most vital subjects of our Christian life. It is prayer. One guy wrote that man is at his greatest and highest when he is upon his knees. He comes face to face with God. This is interesting. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people as much as our prayer life. If that was a 100% fact, I wonder how we would feel to be graded by that and that alone. It is easier to preach from a pulpit than it is to pray. Prayer is undoubtedly the, most, the ultimate test because a man can speak to others with greater ease than he can speak to God. It is true that it is much easier to get up here and to speak to you guys, to talk to you guys, to try to convey a thought to you or share the Word of God to you because all you get to see is me and what I'm presenting to you. You've got no idea what's going on in here. So, I don't lie to you, and I don't mislead you, and I try not to live a double life and then come up here and preach, but if I did, would you even know? But when I enter into the presence of God, I don't have that flexibility. He knows exactly what's going on in here and exactly what's going on in here. So there's the challenge. We ask ourselves, if prayer is as important as people say, as Jesus makes mention of here, why is it such a struggle to do it? And people throw out all kinds of reasons. Time. It's because of time. It's because I'm just way too busy. Society's got too much for me to do, and I just can't find the time. That's part of it. It is true. But if you enjoy something and love something a lot, you make time for it, would you not? You do. We make time for our jobs, right? Because if we don't show up and clock in and do our job, we get fired. And we need not the job because we like working, but the money that the job pays because we work. And so on. And so if it's something we enjoy or feel a necessity or an attachment to, we do it. We make a way to do it. Prayer, though, subconsciously, so many times, we know that when we enter into that place and we take that step to where we are face-to-face -face with God, to where we are going to open up everything within us, and the things that we don't even want to talk about or say, He already knows, that's challenging. It's tough. It's really tough. And it makes it even more complicated when we walk away from those meetings and we thought we snuck something by him. He didn't know about that thought. He didn't know about what I had done. He didn't know that I was struggling. Prayer. It's the test. We find it recorded in the Gospels that John the Baptist had been teaching his disciples to pray. 
His disciples must have felt the need for instruction and guidance in this and asked of John to be taught. Now we find here, Luke records that Jesus' disciples must have felt the same way because what we're getting in response from Jesus on the teaching and prayer came from the disciples asking. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. Why did they ask of him? Because they saw him praying. They saw the life of God. Now, there's not parents in here. I understand it's a young adult class, but just for a side note, if you want children to pray, they've got to see their parents pray. It can't be enough for their pastor to pray. It can't be enough for their Sunday school teacher to pray. It does not work. It's got to be us. So when we have kids, when you have kids... They need to see the prayer coming from you. has to be from you. Undoubtedly, the desire rose in their hearts because they were conscious of the natural, instinctive, initial difficulty of which we are all aware when we go to prayer. Maybe they said to themselves, I find that after only a few minutes, I run out of words. I just don't, I don't know what to say. What is it that enables him to be drawn into prayer? You ever looked at somebody that you see that has a, a prayer life and you hear them in the prayer room or you show up somewhere in a prayer meeting and you hear them pray and you just think, man, how do they get there? How do they end up at a place where they just seem like they're so connected with God? What is it that leads him or leads to this ease and abandonment? How do they arrive? Lord, they said, teach us how to pray. What they meant was teach us to pray like you. Teach us to be able to enter into that moment like you do, Lord, so easily, so easily, so often, and for sometimes so long. And so when Jesus teaches this lesson here, it is in response to this, and so we can look to our neighbors and our friends after this lesson and after reading this in Scripture. And we can say that Jesus has taught us how to pray like Him. We have seen and been taught how to enter into the presence of God and how to be before Him and pray like He did when He was on earth. Have you ever felt dissatisfied with your prayer life? Long to know more and more what it is to truly pray. If you have, it's an encouraging sign because it means there's something within you that is unsatisfied. You're not happy with where your prayer life is at this moment. You see that there can be more and you're eager to find out what that is. And so over the next few minutes here, I'm going to do my very best to just share with you what it was that Jesus taught and hopefully help us all have a better grounded understanding on how we can get a better communication between God and ourselves. Verse 5 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. So what's really the problem? They love to pray in the synagogue. They love to pray in the corner of the streets. I think when I read this, just skimming over it, I think about Sister Lindsay who shows up with us for young adult prayer. She's not a part of our group. She's not young adult by any means. She's got a family. She's in, uh, involved in many things. She works a good job, and yet she makes time to show up 
with us on Young Adult Prayer Night. And she brings something to that group if you've been there and, and experienced her little talks afterwards and her encouraging words afterwards. It's touching. It's almost like you have somebody just guiding you through it. It's powerful. I love having her there. But I think, well, she loves to pray. She even makes time to go to other prayer meetings that don't center around something she organized throughout the week. She's just finding places to be with the body and to pray. So what's wrong with that? Well, it goes on to say that they may be seen of men. Their purpose and their reasoning for praying out in the open, for praying in the front of the synagogues, for praying on the street corners was for one purpose. It was so that they could be seen of men. So that somebody could walk by and say, man, I saw Juan praying. That guy, he must be a prayer warrior. Or they can say, I saw Juan in that same place he's at every church service just praying. That's what it was that made this so wrong to him. This is the reason why Jesus starts off the teaching on prayer with just how we approach God and how not to do it. It exposes the horrible nature of sin. We can't think of sin only in terms of actions. The essence of this teaching on sin is that it is essentially a disposition. Sin is something that follows us even into the very presence of God. How is it that we could be so misled or so broken within our heart that when we enter into the presence of of God to pray that it is not to reach Him, to talk to Him, to speak to Him, to be guided by Him, but so that people notice us. And that's what He was calling out. He was just dealing with the fact that you cannot approach Him and it be about you. It can't be. Do you have needs? Yes, you can have needs. We all have got them. And He wants to hear of those needs. He knows where we are. He cares about us and will minister unto us. But it's not about you being the guy that prays. When you get up here behind a podium and you're leading a church, whether it's in front of 20 or whether it's in the main sanctuary in front of 1,000, when you pray, the object is to shut me out. Shut others out. Because I'm not praying to you. Our purpose is not to entertain one another, but to pray to God and to connect with God. These guys had it all backwards. They acted as if they couldn't make it to the temple without having to stop in the streets to pray. They were just so spiritual. Another step could not be had. I must stop. I must pray now. Motivated all by being seen. He goes on to say they have their reward. Their true desire was to be elevated in the sight of men. Jesus is saying they have received what their heart truly desired. Make no mistake, everything we do in life will have a reward. Now, whether it's a reward from God, from our Savior, because we were obedient to Him, or whether it's a reward from this world, because we were obedient and willing to give ourselves over to it, we will have our reward. The words they spoke in prayer mattered none, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord, He looks in here. How do we approach God? We get it off of us. 
Man, if I haven't learned anything listening to the teacher's teaching here on this lesson series and just reading it and studying the book, it is the fact that it, when it comes to getting into the right relationship with God, we have got to die. We've got to get us out of the way. It is a heart issue, 100%. They forfeited answered prayer. Think about that. For the praise of men. Rather than God hearing my prayers and honoring my prayers, remember, this is what he said not to do. They forfeit that, but they did get their reward. Next, he goes on to using not vain repetition. But when we pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. The key word in this verse is, is vain. Someone says, is it okay to go to God many times for something in prayer? Well, if they take you to this verse and they say, no, see brother, sister, you were supposed to bring that up one time and just trust that God's got it under control. But that's not at all what Jesus is teaching. He is dealing with vain repetitions. That's what he's talking about. What does this look like today? Prayer ropes. It would be an example, an extreme example. Ropes with knots or beads on them. A varying number of beads or knots depending on which religious organization is practicing this. Who does this? Islam does this. Catholics do this. Hindus, Buddhists, the Anglican Church all practice this as one of their modes of prayer. I tell you, the more I look into other religions and how they practice things that they say Scripture taught, the more thankful I am that God brought me to a church that preaches the truth and teaches the truth, that, that encourages me to get into the Bible and figure it out. Here's, here's a, something that was written about how this works for the Anglican church. The standard Anglican set consists of the following pattern, starting with the cross, followed by the invitatory bead and subsequently the first cruciform bead moving to the right through the first set of seven beads to the next cruciform bead continuing around the circle he or she may conclude by saying the lord's prayer on the invitatory bead and or a final prayer on the cross as in examples below the entire circle may be done of course three times signifying the holy trinity Here's kind of a, a printout that I grabbed from them, a screenshot. And this is how they would go throughout their prayer beads. And this is exactly the words that they would say when they are praying. Jesus is saying, vain repetition is not what I want from you. I don't want you to bring words to me that have meaning of themselves, by themselves, but have nothing to do with who you are and where you are at this moment that we are meeting. Vain repetition. They are saying things. Make speed to save me. Is anything wrong with that? Holy God. Holy and mighty. Holy immortal one. I mean, that sounds good, right? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Repentance. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that align with Scripture? You said the doctrine of salvation started with repentance. It's in here. Yet this is exactly what Jesus was saying and referring to as vain repetition. Because they were not coming to God with the heart 
of repentance that says, God, I am broken. I have messed up. I've I've completely gotten off course, Lord. I did something I shouldn't have done. I had that attitude. It rose up in me again when I was debating in class or when I was at work and the guy slammed his stuff down on the cash register and was mouthing off to me. God, I just couldn't control it when they were yelling at me when I was working behind cooking the burgers or getting the food ready or whatever it was. When we have prayer and we go to God, we talk to Him in that manner. That's not vain repetition because we're saying, God, I need you to fix this because I've made a mistake. I'm broken. But to just go to Him and to say, have mercy on me, a sinner, it doesn't get it. To repeat that over and over again, to count your beads and to go through it three times, repeating only those words. You know how, you know how robbed I would feel? Because I know what prayer's like already. Because I know I can go into the presence of God and I can take all of this exterior off. Now here's the advantage. The disadvantage, remember earlier we said, is He knows everything. The advantage is He knows everything. So He already knows before I get in there that I've messed up. He already knows before I get in there that I can barely make paying my bills. He already knows I need a new job. He already knows that I'm lonely. He already knows that I'm scared and I'm afraid. And so I can enter into His presence and I can strip all the hard exterior off that I carry around every day to show everyone else and I can just be real. And that's how He receives it. That's what He wants. That's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of communication prayer is supposed to bring. But you miss all of that when you find yourselves doing this. It takes everything out of it. And Jesus says, no vain repetition. We're talking about things that get prayers to the place where they're not answered. This doesn't, this doesn't work. We're still dealing with the approach. We're dealing with getting into His presence. The greater lesson in that, though, is that anything that takes for itself the attention and honor that is due our Lord in prayer must be removed. If not, just like those that did it for show, we have our reward. Remember, Jesus is teaching about broken prayer. He said, use not as the heathen do. Here's another example. I get so tired of people telling me how committed and devout men and women are who are involved in Islam. Do they follow rules well. Yes, it's appearance-wise, it does seem so. Do many of them stop for prayer at certain times of the day and, and follow this regimen here that actually lets them know what to say and what position to be standing in when they're saying it? Yeah, I would say they do. But what does Jesus think about this? Where did they get with this? in front of Him. They got nowhere. It's easy for us to look at the Pharisees or the scribes or those who are in great places and great positions and say, ah, you cats are the reason why Jesus is teaching this lesson because you can't pray without being seen of everybody. And really, it's so much more than that because Jesus is saying that people get caught up in things like vain repetition. Everyday folks do. People get caught up in the mode of their prayers, the model of it. They're, they're more concerned about what time they pray and how many times they pray a day than they are about praying. 
It sounds crazy to think that I could get so so involved in praying five times a day at a specific time of day, standing a certain way, facing a certain way, that that would rob me. My commitment to that steals my commitment to God and my commitment to prayer. Takes it away, snatches it. I remember praying after one service downstairs in the prayer room, and I am just... I just feel God's presence. I'm so far off in the corner by myself. I'm, I'm squatted on the floor. There's snot. I'm just wet. It's disgusting. And I loved it. And so I went back the next service for prayer, and I got down in that exact same position. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, I was, I was just in the right place, tuning things out the right way, and maybe I shouldn't be standing when I pray. I'm just going to get down on my face and I'm going to pray. And I did. And I felt God. But not at all in the way that I'd felt Him the service before. Not even close to what I felt before. But I did feel God. And I remember thinking, how silly was that of me? To think that if I enter into His presence the same way I did last time, that I will get the same results because that's what God is interested in. Now, you know what he's interested in? He's interested in us being honest with him, with us being concerned about how our communication is with him. He's interested in us turning self off and connecting with him. It doesn't matter if you're standing. doesn't matter if you're sitting. doesn't matter if you're driving. doesn't matter if you're in your bed. doesn't matter if you're behind the pulpit. doesn't matter where you're at. If you can just shut everything else off and recognize, remember, I'm in His presence, face-to-face with Him, and He is who I need to communicate with. That's what matters. That's what God honors. The Lord's Prayer. We're going to think of this as a skeleton. We're given these principles to pray. You take a skeleton like you would in class and and you just think about, okay, here's the basic skeleton. Now I add meat here, skin here, and you start wrapping that skeleton with other parts of the meat, some muscle, tissue, tissue. That's what what we need from Jesus here. He's going to give us the skeleton to pray. What not to do, do, but what what to do, do, what impact it has on our relationships. The Lord's Prayer covers everything. All we do is take these principles and empty and expand them, employ them and expand them, and base our every petition upon them. So what did I say? I said that it was, in my opinion, the second most important teaching we need to learn in Scripture. I mean that. I believe that. Our Father which art in heaven, Here's how he starts off. So what kind of father? Because some people have in their mind the abusive father, the alcoholic father, the gambling father, the unfaithful father. But Jesus makes a strong and clear distinction. Our father which art in heaven. Not a father like those here on earth that can fail, that can disappoint, that can make upset, but our father which are in heaven. Father still being used because it's important for people to recognize the relationship. It is a father-child, but it's a correct father-child relationship. It's not the abusive one. It's not the alcoholic one or the lying one. It's the loving one. It's the caring one who puts you first, who does the things that hurt you, the spankings, the grounding, 
to make sure that you avoid things that could destroy you. When we call on Him in prayer as our Father in heaven, we should be reminded of His majesty, of His greatness, and of His almighty power. He not only desires to lead us and help us as a proper Father would, but He is seated in heaven with all authority to do so. So when we enter into His presence, it's a father-child relationship. We can tell Him what we need. We can talk to Him about things. I watched a minister in jail service, Brother Crowder, as he explained to these men why we lift our hands in church and, and what sense does that even make. And he said to them, when you're running and you fall and you skid your knee, what's the first thing you do? You get up, you go to your dad, and you just lift your hands up asking him to pick you up to take care of you, to fix you, to help you. Because he's in that place. He has the power to do so. So when we lift our hands to God, we're honoring the fact that he is there. There's this child-father relationship. And he is seated in heaven with all power and with all authority. No matter what you need or what you bring to him, he can fix it. He understands. Now come the petitions. Hallowed be thy name. Kevin, how long has this thing been going I didn't look at a clock. No, tell me. That's a lie. Alex is almost asleep. 28 minutes. Okay, so 10 minutes. I know, I'm just messing. I actually thought you were a little bit asleep, but... Maybe a little bit. All right, so now we're going to get into the petitions. And we're going to try to squeeze the rest of this in in about 12 minutes. Now come the petitions. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first three, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, have regard to God and his glory. Now the others have reference to ourselves. You will notice the first three contain the word thy. And all have reference to God. It is only after that that the word us comes in. It's got to be about him, 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 him. Because really, even though we're bringing needs to him, it's about his glory. Even though we're coming to him broken and messed up, it's about his glory. It's never about us and our glory. It's about him and his glory. And you know what? He gets glory when our light so shines, when he does fix us. When he does take things out of our lives, right? He gets glory from that. So when we enter into his presence, it is we must capture the fact that the first three things he says all points to him, recognizing him. And then after that, it shifts and it comes to us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's just about the order of these things. There's a right way and a wrong way to pray, okay? I know this stuff can be boring, but this is how we communicate with God. This matters. It's going gonna, it's gonna to impact how well we understand what He wants. What love language is it, God, that you have? I need to know it because I want to obey it, because I want you to know I love you. We must put God first. This principle applies even when our petitions reach their highest level. This is when it gets uh, troublesome to make sure that we are approaching God with Him being seated 
and most important first. Salvation for the lost. God understands we need to pray for the lost. People need help. Our family, financial miracle, our healing. All of these things never take the place. They never fulfill the first position, and that is His. Now, am I saying that every time you get on your knees to enter prayer, you've got to name these things out and you've got to say them exactly right? No. The whole teaching of the New Testament is a hard issue. It's a hard issue, a hard issue. Yeah, some things have to be spoken. Sometimes in dire need, you go straight to God with the petition. That's not, that's not, he's not saying that's wrong. As long as when you're coming to him with that petition, we have understood who he is, what he is, what he has done. That's why we're coming to Him anyways, right? Outside of that, it's a waste of time. Before we think of ourselves or others, we must start with great concern about God and His honor and His glory. There is no principle in connection with the Christian life that exceeds this importance. Everything that goes on in our lives is us dying, Him living, us backing away, Him increasing. How does this play out? Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So if we know that we can enter prayer and God can take control because we don't even know well enough what it is that we need, that He can speak through us in a language that we don't understand and take care of problems that we never knew existed, then how can we say, God, I've got to rush to you and, and I, can't, I don't have time to approach you in this authority role. I don't have time to approach you in this majesty role. I just got to get out my thoughts and my needs. No, he already knew your needs. I already knew your thoughts. It's about him. You don't even exist without him. We don't get the chance to cry about anything without him. We can never take him off his throne and replace it with our needs. Our needs matter, but he stays on the throne. And then he does stuff like this. When you can't even utter the words, he does it for you. First petition, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means to sanctify or to revere. Why does he say hallowed be thy name? What does this term, the name, stand for? Jews in the Old Testament would have such a reverence for the name of God that they wouldn't say it. They referred to God as the name in order to avoid the use of the actual term Jehovah. So that the name here means God himself. It represents everything that God is. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be everything that you are, Lord. The kingdom of God really means the reign of God. This is the second petition. It means the law and the rule of God. John the Baptist preached, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began preaching, he preached the exact same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are praying for the success of the gospel its sway, its power. We are praying for the conversion of all. We are praying that the kingdom of God will come today everywhere. When we mention this, we are saying, in other words, that God's presence would come and have its way everywhere. Thy kingdom come. While Jesus was here, the kingdom was here. He was the kingdom. 
So when we pray that, that's what it means. Third petition, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The results of the coming kingdom of God amongst men will be that the will of God be done. It's pretty straightforward. We just prayed that the kingdom come, God's power, God's reign, God's rule. If that's taken place, then naturally the will of God would be as well. In heaven, the will of God is always being done perfectly. The angels worship and obey God, and so should it be on earth. Now, a true completion of this will not take place until our Lord returns and sin is no more. But in the lives of individuals and people just like me and you and like Michael, who I sat across from at lunch, it can take place anytime. The fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread refers to our daily necessities. We are to pray for God's provision. David, looking back in his old age, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. The promises of God never fail. He always takes care of us. What about what Jesus just said? Don't be like the heathen who think they shall be heard for their much speaking, because your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask of Him. Some people take that and they say, well, if He already knows, then why are we asking? If He already knows, then why are we asking? Why tell Him about things that He already knows? We do not tell God these things because He is not aware of them. We must think of prayer more as a relationship between father and child, going back to that language used. And the value of prayer is that it keeps us in touch and contact with God. You know it's true. Think about the times in your life when you're entering into His presence. You've carved out time just for Him, not because you just want to offload and dump things, but because you want to be in His presence. Because you want to speak to Him. Because you love Him. I tell you earlier, we read it, it said that prayer is like the, the greatest tell of where a Christian is in their walk. I believe that. I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm not judging anybody, but I'm saying we've got to judge ourselves. Where is our life of prayer? Where is the times? If He is my God, and I say I live for Him, and I come to church, and I pray at church, and I worship at church, and I'm faithful to church. How do I pray outside of church? Where's the real relationship? Because you're not standing in the sanctuary telling God all your dirt. Church gets the pretty prayers. You don't give all the nitty-gritty. He doesn't hear about the things you're really struggling with. It's the general prayers that happen at church. People pray loud at church. It's awesome. We do pray. We do connect with God. But it's not the place for emptying your soul. So he's my God. How often do you talk to him? How often does he talk to you? He's your God. How's your relationship? Do you understand Him? you think He understands you? It matters. Fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Debts is referring to sin or trespasses. This principle is taught clearly in Matthew 18 in the parable of the steward who would not forgive his underlying although he had been forgiven by his master. It means that the proof that you and I are forgiven as that is that we forgive others. The man who knows he has been forgiven is a man who must forgive others. He can't help himself. It's like, it's like just feeling that freedom and that release and understanding everything that God just redeemed you from. You could look at all the innocent little neat things that aren't such a big deal, but think about hell and eternity there. Because that's what he redeemed you from when he forgave you. So people look at this and they start to think, well, there's something attached to forgiving others because that means if I forgive others, God forgives me. Because it goes on to talk about that. That means, that do we have it? We were asking there. No, we don't have it. So we'll, I'll just share it with you. So it goes on to talk about because if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven by your heavenly Father. And so someone looks at that, they read it, and they just say, well, it's, there's this connection being made that says that if I forgive others, God forgives me. But if I don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive me. But that's not where the connection is at. The connection is at what Jesus is telling us is that if you are really forgiven, you will forgive others. You will forgive others. Because God, when He forgave you, changed your heart in such a way when He filled you with the Holy Ghost that it shifted something within you that you can't help but to share with other people that same forgiveness that you received. Allow them to have that same forgiveness. So we, one more time, we can just check in this teaching on prayer. We can look at ourselves in our hearts and say, man, do I have some issues here? Because I want God... I want to make sure that when God changed me, He changed me. And I'm able to forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are asking that we never be led into a situation where we are liable to be tempted by Satan. This is what Jesus meant when He said to His disciples at the end, Watch and pray that you enter into not into temptation watch and pray that you enter not into temptation we ask to be kept from evil so that our fellowship with god may never be broken does that mean that we're never going to have hard times no does it mean that trials will never come no tests will never come it doesn't mean that but it does mean that god in teaching us how to pray told us that it is okay and it is right to even utter those words, God, keep me from the things that could break or hurt my relationship with you. Move them out of my way. I don't want to hinder what I have for you. And that could come right back to prayer itself and say, God, remove the ball games out of my life. God, remove the workaholic spirit out of my life. Remove the people that suck me dry out of my life so that I can be certain that I have time for you. So that those things don't be the temptations that destroy my relationship with you. Now for the end, the postscript. Stand with me. We're closing here. We're done. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Now, after being taught what we've been taught here about prayer, it just seems right to be closing it up with how He did it there. The kingdom, the power, and the glory. Just an attitude and a heart that is full of thanks for what we gain from Him. I challenge you to take some time this week. Open your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Start there in verse 5. And read again what is famously known as the Lord's Prayer. Let us soak in on what He is really saying and how it affects our true communication with Him. Because there is nothing that will impact our lives once we're saved as communicating with Him that saved us. Let's bow our heads and pray. So Lord, I thank You, God, so very much for Your faithfulness. I am honored that we could enter into Your presence tonight, Lord, and open up Your Word and just start to study it. They saw something in You, God, when You would step away and You would pray and, and you, would, you would just travail for those, God. You would take time and maybe you'd be separated for hours, sometimes short periods, sometimes long periods. But the disciples, they saw you in your prayer life and they asked God for you to teach them to pray. And here we are tonight, young adults of Calvary Tabernacle, every one of us in our own place in our life and our walk with you. And we need you, God, to teach us how to pray. We need you to put something within our spirit, God, that is just drawn to communication with you, that is drawn to shutting this world out, God, to shutting everything else out and connecting with you. God, that we would allow ourselves time to be separated and set apart, to enter into your presence, to empty ourselves, God, of all the things that are bothering us and warring within us, God, to take off the facade, to get rid of all the phoniness and just be pure and emptied in your presence, God, to approach you, Lord, with a heart that understands who you are, what you've done, what you're going to do, God, that we have no life outside of you that we matter to you, that you love us, you care about us. And when we don't have the words, when we don't even know what's coming, you can give them to us. You can steer us out of danger that we never even knew was there. You can share with us, God, what it is you've got for our lives for tomorrow, for years down the road. And prayer, God, you can shape us and mold us, Lord, in ways that we don't get in praying in public like we do when we're praying with just you. We can be honest with you, God, in ways that we can't be honest at church when we pray. We can't be honest across the bed from our spouse when we pray like we can when we are alone with you. God, I ask you, Lord, to stir this group. Stir us, God. The flesh will fight this. The enemy will fight this. But your spirit within us will wage war that we would be drawn to pray. Help us, God. Help us. We need that, Lord. We need that time with you. 
Grant it to us, God. Challenge us with it. Thank you, God.